Amen. Thank you, Mr. Ed. Thank you, worship team, for that time of worship. I pray that you were encouraged at home singing along with us in that. As I mentioned to you at the beginning of our service, we are in this Promised Redeemer series. And here we are today on this Palm Sunday, the, the beginning of what we refer to as Holy Week. In this upcoming week, we, we remember the events of Jesus' life and the things that, that he did in that last week leading up to Good Friday, the day that he would die on the cross. And then Sunday, he would resurrect from the grave. And we will celebrate that next Sunday with Easter Sunday. But for today, as we are continuing in this sermon series on the promised Redeemer, we're at the point where we're looking at the triumphal entry of Jesus. Now, for those of you maybe that haven't joined us or, or seen this online or listened to it online, I just want to catch you up really quickly. A few weeks ago, we started this series, and we began at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that we refer to as the Proto-Evangelium, which means first good news, where God made it clear that, that Jesus would be the one eventually that would crush the serpent, crush Satan's head. And we, we described how he did that at the cross from Matthew's account. The next week we looked at Isaiah's account of the coming Messiah that would be born in Bethlehem. And we saw in Luke's fulfillment of that, Jesus' birth. Then last week, Pastor Walter comes and he delivers an amazing message of Jesus' ministry, the promised Redeemer's ministry, looking at a prophecy from Isaiah as well and the fulfillment of that in Matthew's account with Matthew chapter 11. And now here we are today and we're looking at Zechariah's prophecy of Jesus coming into Jerusalem seated on the donkey and the fulfillment of that in John's account. So for one more time, I'm going to read to you really quickly Zechariah's account, Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. So here today we are looking at John's account in John chapter 12. And if you're home and you're watching this, sitting there in your living room or wherever you may be, you know that at this time we stand to honor the reading of God's word. And if you feel comfortable doing that, I ask you to join me in that. John chapter 12, starting in verse 12. And the word of the Lord says, The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Verse 16, his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. Verse 19, so the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. 
So these came to Philip, who was from Bethesda, uh, excuse me, Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. In verse 23, Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. This is the word of God. Join me in prayer. Father God, Lord, I come before you now, and I thank you for the time of worship that we've had singing out to you. Lord, remembering that your mercy is more. Although our sins are many, your mercy is more. We cry Hosanna to you. Lord, we build our life upon you. You are the one that sustains us. You are the one that puts breath in our lungs, and we worship you. And Father, now as we come before you and we open your word, I pray, Father, that in this moment, no matter where anyone is right now listening to this, that the distractions do fade away. Father, that your word is proclaimed boldly. Use me, Father, to speak your truth. Get me out of the way you speak in this moment. May you be glorified here right now, Father. I love you, Lord, and I bless you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. In this account today, we're going to see from John's account of the triumphal entry of Jesus. It shows that Jesus is worthy of praise, that he is the fulfilled word of God, and that he demands a response. So if you're taking notes, I hope you are. You can see here the very first point is the promised redeemer is worthy of praise. The promised redeemer is worthy of praise. Look again at verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Now, we have to note here before we even move further that we have to understand what exactly is happening here in this moment. I want to make sure that you note that if you go back, starting at the beginning of chapter 12, you can see in verses 1 through 8 how Mary has anointed Jesus for burial. She's prepared him for this. And verse 12 is now showing us here that this is the day after that happens to Jesus. This day, as we know, as we're celebrating today, is traditionally in Christian tradition known as Palm Sunday because of what happened in these verses. Hence the reason we have palms here in front of us right now. And, and, and the reason we decorate and we say these things is because it's Palm Sunday for us. Now it mentions there that it is the feast. They had come up to the feast. What is the feast? What are they talking about here? That is mentioning and describing Passover. Passover began on Friday evening at sundown. And so Jesus is anointed on Saturday, and he comes now Sunday as he is coming into Jerusalem. Verse 13 says, So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. These people are there and they're waving these palm branches. Now why, why a palm branch? Well, it's the national Jewish symbol. And they're there and they're waving this. And they cry out aloud, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Now, all through this series, we've been giving you prophesied texts and the fulfillment of those. 
What's very awesome in this moment is to point out to you another Old Testament passage that does the exact same thing. Psalms chapter 118 verses 25 through 26 says, Save us, we pray, O Lord. We pray and we give success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. So these people here in this account in verse 13 that are crying this out, they're saying the words Hosanna. And right there in that moment when they say Hosanna, it means save us, we pray. It's an echoing of Psalm that we just read, Psalm 118. And you have to recall and you have to remember, as Pastor Walter mentioned to us last week, these people are looking at the Messiah, looking for the Messiah to be some political or military king who would use his power to overthrow the Roman rule. Yet Jesus does it in the exact opposite way. Maybe you remember from a few weeks ago when we talked about the birth account. And when Jesus comes and he is born... One of the first things that we pointed out is the fact that he is born in the humblest way. Born there in a stable amongst all of these animals. There was no place for him to go. There was no royal proclamation to the people there. Not even to the religious leaders, but to mere shepherds as the angels went to them proclaiming the good news. Jesus comes in the most humble way. And here we see he's doing it here as well. You see, in verse 14, it tells us, And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. Jesus also has this crowd with him, in part because of the raising of Lazarus. Matter of fact, back in 12.9, this one's not there for you to see, but I just want to bring it to your attention. When the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. So Jesus has this large crowd present. And Jesus knows what is happening in this moment. He's the God-man. He's fully God. He's fully man. Jesus, who was there in the beginning with God, he knows what the Old Testament scriptures say about him. He knows what Zechariah has said in chapter 9, verse 9 that we read earlier. He knows that it prophesies that he will come seated on a donkey. And then verse 15 in John's account tells us, Fear not, O daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Direct fulfillment there of the Old Testament prophecy. Direct fulfillment. And remember in Zechariah 9.9 it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, daughter of Jerusalem. What are the people doing there in that moment? They are shouting aloud. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Again, Jesus knew the Old Testament scriptures. He knew them because he is God. He knew what Zechariah prophesied about him. He knew that he would be the one to use this said donkey to enter Jerusalem on this Palm Sunday. It's a direct fulfillment. But also this passage echoes the fulfilled prophecy of Genesis chapter 49, verse 10 and 11. It says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the people, binding his foal to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. 
He, was, he has washed his garments in wine and his uh, vesture in the blood of grapes. Jesus, being the true vine, there on the donkey's colt. I just love the fact that all of these scriptures point to the fulfillment of Christ. The word of God that is active and living, sharper than two -edged, any two-edged sword. It is the God-breathed word. And Jesus is the direct fulfillment of all these prophecies all throughout the Old Testament. So as we said, the promised Redeemer, he is worthy of praise. But secondly, the promised Redeemer is the fulfilled word of God. Promised Redeemer is the fulfilled word of God. Look again at verse 16. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things that had been written about him and had been done to him. You see, John specifically mentions the fact that the disciples did not fully understand what all Jesus had said until he was glorified, crucified, and resurrected. We must note here that obviously these disciples believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. Matter of fact, in Matthew's account in chapter 16, verses 13 through 16, it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. They believed this of Jesus, yet they did not fully understand until he was glorified. You see, here in this moment, John says that they remembered these things that were written about him and done to him. John is stating that the psalm passage we read just a few moments ago where they're crying out and they're saying this in Hosanna and the Zechariah 9-9 passage, they're all written about Jesus. They're all fulfilled in Jesus. And when it says there that phrase, done to him, it's pointing to what Jesus suffered and went through as the suffering servant during Passion Week on that Good Friday. Dr. James Hamilton Jr. puts it this way. An apostle of Jesus under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is teaching followers of Jesus how to understand the Old Testament. You see here in verse 16, when it says this thing about the disciples, this 16 verse, you could read through it. And if you're reading through the passage, you may come about it and then move right along sometimes and, and, and completely miss what is happening. This is so profound because in this moment, John is saying something that is happening there, but he's also saying something that happens in the future in the same verse. You see, because here in 16, when it says the disciples don't understand this at first, but when Jesus was glorified, they remembered. John is pointing to the fact that Jesus is going to suffer. Jesus is going to die on a cross. He's going to go through all that he goes through on that cross, and then he's going to defeat death and raise to new life on the third day what we call Easter Sunday. Jesus himself even pointed to the fact that he is the fulfilled word of God. Earlier in John's book, he says in 546, for if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote 
of me. In that moment, Jesus is teaching the people and he's saying, if you believe this, what Moses has said, then you are talking about me. I am the fulfilled word of God. And the disciples realize it once Jesus is resurrected completely. John 12, 16 is so crucial for any follower of Jesus Christ to understand because it points to the fact that the Old Testament is not some outdated, unimportant bunch of historical writings. The Old Testament is God's prophetic word through and through pointing to the coming Messiah in Christ Jesus and his finished work at Calvary. That is what the Old Testament is. The New Testament is the fulfillment of the prophecies. Everything points to Jesus. Everything points to a dark and gloomy day on Calvary's cross where the wrath of God is poured out on his son so that you and I, sinners, deserving death, deserving that wrath ourselves, may have the opportunity because of the finished work at that cross and the resurrection from the grave to stand and say and profess with our mouths, Jesus Christ is Lord. And I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. Therefore, Scripture says I am saved. It is because of that finished work that we even get the opportunity to do that. Jesus made it clear when he was on this earth that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father except by him. That doesn't mean you have to sign up and do something or do anything like that. It means that you have to believe in the finished work at Calvary and understand that Jesus didn't stay inside of a grave. He resurrected to new life on the third day. That is the promised Redeemer. That is the fulfilled word of God. And if Jesus... Being the promised redeemer is worthy of praise. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you believe in all your heart because you know you've been saved, that he is worthy of that praise. If the promised redeemer is the fulfilled word of God, like if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you believe that the word of God has been fulfilled in the finished work of Jesus. And thirdly, the promised redeemer demands a response. The promised Redeemer demands a response. We see here from 17 through 23 some responses that take place. Verse 17 says, The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this sign. The reaction of the people. John points to the fact that yet again, this crowd that saw Lazarus raised from the dead continues to testify. And he sees that this crowd, these people hear of this sign that Jesus has done this. So verse 19 tells us, So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that they are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. You can almost hear the snarkiness in their voice by reading that. Here we see the reaction of these Pharisees. And if you will recall with me for a moment, these are members of the religious establishment. These are those the Pharisees see that this following of Jesus has begun to, to put the writing on the wall, if you will. They see that everyone is starting to follow after Jesus. 
These guys are the religious leaders. They are the ones that have all the head knowledge. They have made it up through the ranks. They are the religious leaders. And you've heard me say it before, but these religious leaders, and we have to be careful because we can fall into this category sometimes. These religious leaders, they had it all here. They didn't have it here. Unfortunately, in some of our churches today, or even you may be listening online, and you may think that you are good to go because you know a lot of scripture or you know what you needed to know in Bible school to make it through, but your heart hasn't been truly regenerated by the finished work of Jesus at the cross. And you don't know what it means to truly have a promised Redeemer that has truly saved your soul and reserved your spot for you in eternity. Because you don't know this Jesus. I want to encourage you to really stop and think and reflect as we finish these passages, these verses, to understand, do I really know this Jesus? But they see that, well, the world has gone after him. And when they say that, it's this exaggeration of the Pharisees. But the play on words here is true. Jesus has come for the sins of the world. So you have to think about these Pharisees in that moment, man. They're, they're a little shook. They see what is going on and they're nervous. They're worried. And as we know through reading through the Gospels, they have to do something about it. And so they began their plan to do so, which leads us to Good Friday, where Jesus would die. But it was all to fulfill the Scriptures all to fulfill what God had planned. Verse 20 says, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. Here we see some Greeks, or you can put into that bracket there and you could say Gentiles. Here we see that some Gentiles are in attendance for the feast or Passover. And these Gentiles could be Greek-speaking Jews, but it is more unlikely than not on that. They also would probably be considered men who fear God, but they again don't truly know God. It appears that these Pharisees are worried about what's going to actually come to pass, as we saw in 19. And the fact that verse 20 says that, it, it initiates what we see coming up very soon. Verse 21 and 22 say, so these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. And Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. These Gentiles, they go to Philip to get the idea of what in the world is going on. They want to be a part of it. They want to see Jesus. Now, don't miss this. Don't miss this. The arrival of the Gentiles wanting to come into the fold and, and to, the, the, to see Jesus, it is the signal of Jesus' time on earth coming to an end. Jesus came to establish the new covenant, as Walter said to us last week. And his eventual death on the cross and resurrection would make the way for that to come. And verse 23 says, 
Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Jesus acknowledges the fact that the time has now come for him to be crucified. This week, only a mere five days later, Jesus would go to Calvary's cross. Within these mere five days, Jesus would be betrayed by one of his followers that he poured three years of his ministry and his life into. He would be betrayed by one of those for just 30 pieces of silver. Jesus would be tried in a legal trial. Jesus, being a sinless man, doing nothing wrong, would stand before another crowd just a few days later. And they would say, do you want this criminal, this murderer, or do you want Jesus? And they said, give us him. We don't want Jesus. And they would yell then, crucify him, crucify him. And then after that continual proclamation of saying, crucify him, Jesus would be sentenced to death. Now, in the coming days, you'll be able to go online. You're going to hear small little devotionals, and we're going to tell you what happens throughout the week leading to the cross. But you need to understand something. I think we can go very numb. And almost forget just how powerful this week is. Because God came in the flesh and was betrayed. And Jesus was beaten. Scripture says that he was flogged. It means this whip with this cat of nine tails, broken pieces of glass whipped over and over and over again, peeling off his flesh, ripped of his clothing. And as you see on this cross, a crown of thorns to mock him, crushed on his head. He would go to that cross where nails would be driven through his wrist and his feet. And as you heard me say a few weeks ago, as they would put that cross in the ground, his body would hang there. And over and over again, he'd have to reach his body up to be able to catch a breath. And he would go through the things that he does on that cross. And there's one thing very specific he says at the beginning while he's on that cross. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus, I told you, he came in the humblest way. And even after going through all that he did, he could have called the legions of angels down to take care of everyone that was doing this to him, yet he stood, he's hanging there on that cross and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is the reason Jesus came. Was to bear the sins of the world upon his shoulder. To suffer God's wrath. 
until he says it is finished. And Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Thus doing what Genesis 3.15 said. I'm, I'm going to tie it all back in for you. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between her and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Although the enemy would do everything in his power, the people would revolt. The people would yell, crucify him. Jesus would be whipped and go through everything that I just described. And although it looked like he had been bruised and crushed, in the moment he gives up his spirit, the curtain is torn. Satan is defeated. Death is defeated. And as we will talk more about next week, Jesus would be taken off of that cross. He would be put into a borrowed tomb, not even one reserved for him, but Joseph of Arimathea gives him his tomb. And a stone is rolled in front, saying that he is done, he is finished. It looks like the enemy has won the day. Oh, but Sunday comes. And Jesus resurrects from the grave, defeating death forever. And making the way for you and I, sinners, to come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ and have eternity promised because of that relationship. I want to encourage you that's listening right now. I don't know where you stand in regards to the Lord. I don't know if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you would say that you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want you to, to take note of what you see there on the screen right now. There's a link that says homesavenue.com forward slash contact. I want to encourage you. I don't care if you're in another state. I don't care if you're across the globe and you're somehow watching this. If the Holy Spirit is doing something in your life at this moment and you need to talk to someone about what it means to know Jesus Christ as Lord, you want to give your life to Jesus please click that link. Please reach out to us and we will do everything in our power to not only proclaim the good news of Jesus to you and explain what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but we will also plug you into a church that is a Bible-believing church that preaches Jesus Christ, his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And we will find a way for you to be able to be in community with another church. But if you're here in this local area, and you have this going on and you feel God is doing something right now, reach out, please. We will do everything in our power to come alongside of you and to share the good news of Jesus with you. The band's gonna come forward in just a moment. We're gonna pray. But I wanna encourage you as well, if you are a Christian, you would say, yes, I've surrendered my life to Jesus. I know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I wanna encourage you. You may say, well, Brian, I... I've grown numb to the truth of what happened at Calvary. I've grown numb to the resurrection. 
Life has gotten in the way and things are just rough and I haven't been able to truly celebrate. Or I've given in to this or that and it's just not real to me. I want you to pray and ask God and repent and ask God, Lord, revive my soul to the truth of what you've done at Calvary. Revive my soul to the truth of the fact that you have saved me. No matter which side of it you're on, what we do right now in this next moment is we reserve time for quiet reflection and prayer. So no matter where you are, I want you to stop. Maybe a little awkward because it's silent, but I want you to really stop and reflect on what God is saying to you right now. Do you know this promised Redeemer who is worthy of praise, who is the fulfilled word of God? Because he demands a response. Do you need to put your faith and trust in him? Do you need to start living for him? Ask the Lord what it is that he would want for you. Let's pray. Father God, I love you. Father, we love you. We bless you. And we thank you for who you are and what you have done for us. We thank you, Lord, that you are sovereign God who sits on his throne. That is not surprised by events that happen in this world because you know it all. You sovereignly reign over this world. Father, I pray for the person that is listening right now. whatever part of life they're in right now. Maybe they do not know you as Lord and Savior, but God, they, they feel that you are moving here in this moment. You are drawing them, them to yourself. I pray, Father God, that they would profess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that you raised Jesus from the dead. Father, maybe it's a person that knows you and Lord, they've just kind of grown stale in their walk. They don't really know what to do next, Lord, but they believe and they know and they trust what you've done at Calvary. Lord, I pray that you would revive them. Help them to see what living a life in obedience to you is all about. Help them to see what proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. I pray, God, that you would give them the boldness to do so. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your triumphal entry. That is for the fulfillment of this Old Testament passage that leads us into Holy Week. That leads us to Good Friday, where Jesus went to the cross in our place. Father, I pray 
Lord, that you would move so powerfully right now in this moment. Do a work that only you can do. We trust you, Father. And we bless you and we honor you. We pray, God, now as we sing this last song, that you would be glorified for who you are. Thank you for who you are. We love you and we bless you in Christ's name. Amen.